Turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 5. We'll be a little bit in chapter 5 and a little bit in chapter 6 this morning. Jesus does not want your decision nearly so much as He wants your discipleship. We are under the impression that God wants us to just choose to follow Him. And as long as we make that choice, we can kind of bumble through the rest of life and that's good enough for Him. But Jesus never calls anyone to be converted. He never says, believe. No, He actually calls for repentance. A change in behavior that is linked to a change of the mind. In other words, He doesn't just want your decision. He wants your discipleship. He wants you to follow him And nowhere is this more clear. Nowhere in the Scripture, I believe, is it more direct and to the point as it is in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Stand with me as we read God's Word. I say this, and it's true every single week, but man, it's doubly true today. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Luke 5, 27, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything he rose and followed him let's pray oh father you don't mince words lord you don't go on great diatribes and eventually get to a point when you ask a question it doesn't take 10 minutes to ask the question because of all the other stuff that you try to say before the question When you give a command, you don't give tons of conditionals and hypotheticals. You don't mince words. You get right to the point. Father, as we hear these words, follow me. Help us hear them the way that Levi heard them. The way that Simon called Peter. The way that James and John, the sons of Zebedee. The way that Thomas and Alphaeus and Bartholomew, Matthew, and all the other disciples, may we hear them with the same, the same kind of urgency that they heard them. And may we, like them, respond accordingly. Father, use your word in this time to change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For ages past and even today, the words of Christ, the Lord of ages, call out to men with the same call he issued to Levi. The call to follow me. These words were not spoken in a vacuum. It's not that Jesus just walks up to Levi one day without any sort of context. If you look in verses 7 through 26 of the chapter, you'll see a miraculous healing, a healing that we'll talk about on Wednesday night, by the way. Four men bring their friend who's paralyzed on a mat to come see Jesus. They can't enter enter during into the building where he is because of crowds, so they find another way in. Levi couldn't have been too far away because verse 27 tells us that when Jesus exits, he sees Levi. So he must have been close enough to see what was going on. He watched as they approached carrying this friend on his mat. They look around. They can't find a way in. He sees that. Maybe he could even hear the conversation. One of the friends may have said, we have to get him in there somehow. And another said, but how? It's too crowded. We can't get in. 
As they're looking, working out their solution, what are we going to do to get our friend to Jesus? Here's Levi sitting in the tax booth watching all this happen because everybody loves a good show, right? And this must have been the most interesting thing happening at the time. Finally, one of them gets the idea, let's take him up to the roof. I could see Levi laughing to himself, watching with interest as they try to get this man on his mat up onto the roof. Have you ever tried to climb a ladder or stairs while you're holding on to something? Now, just imagine it's a person. Don't drop him. Boy, that would have been interesting, to say the least. I'm almost willing he, he, he says to himself, they must really think that teacher is something else. Look at all the trouble they're willing to go through to get their friend to see him. Then Levi hears the commotion. He hears the praises ringing out to God. And he watches that paralyzed man walking out, carrying his bed, going on his merry little way. He must have been astounded. Everyone else was. And it's at this point that Jesus walks out and walks directly up to Levi and says, Follow me. Words that would ring through the ages, even to today. You know, that same Jesus is still calling. Follow me. This wasn't the only calling of the disciple that Luke tells us about. At the beginning of chapter 5, he tells us about a time that Jesus was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee near a town called Gennesaret. That's why Luke, when he refers to it, calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. It's kind of a local phrase for that, for that sea. And he's there teaching and the crowds are pressing on him. And, and just like always, Jesus, Jesus doesn't go anywhere alone. I mean, this people find out where he is and they, they come straight to him. Poor guy, he just can't get time to himself. He has to get up earlier than everybody else to, to get up on a mountain to get by himself. But Jesus is there, crowds are pressing on him, and he doesn't have enough room. I need a little bit of space so that I can teach the crowd. Otherwise, the people right in front of me will hear, nobody else will hear. And so he looks around, he sees these two boats on the shore, and the fishermen are cleaning their nets after having fished all night long. And he walks up to one of them and says, let's put out a little bit. Here, here, I'm going to get in. You, you put me out on the sea a little bit and let, so I can teach. Well, they do. And he starts to teach. Luke 5, 4 tells us, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for Simon had been fishing all night. Now, some of you like fishing. How many of you like fishing? Okay. How many of you like catching better? Peter says in verse 5, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, he wasn't just tired. He was tarred, plum tuckered out. Worse still, he didn't have anything to show for it. Not a single fish. He had been all night fishing with nothing. Go back to verse 4. Jesus is just great about this. Look what Jesus says. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He doesn't say put down your nets to fish. He says put them down for a catch. Now, I'm almost willing to bet that Jesus takes Peter. Peter decides to take Jesus and Jesus says, let's go to that spot over there. And that's the spot they've been fishing in all night long. Because that's just the kind of thing Jesus would do. He's not going to fish. He's going to catch. That's a big difference. 
<laughs> I'm sure Simon's ready to go home and go to sleep. Hard work, no visible results, do that to a man, you know. But in spite of the fatigue, he agrees. I don't know why he agrees. Maybe he had heard the reputation of Jesus being this healer. Maybe he had listened as Jesus was teaching the people from his boat. And something just struck him. Maybe he realized there was something really special about this man. Or maybe he just thought, you know, he's teaching with authority. I may as well give it a shot. Maybe he was just willing to see. For whatever reason, Simon agrees. He puts out. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. There's a big difference between fishing and catching, amen? The men toiled all night with no reward and now hit the mother load. Too many fish. Instead of struggling to get a bite, they were fighting not to sink from the weight of their large catch. Simon could not believe it. Verse 8 tells us that he fell at Jesus' knees and begged for forgiveness. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. I don't know why Luke doesn't tell us any of the other stories about Jesus calling specific ones. You can look in other Gospels and find some of the others. But I do find in these two stories a couple of common threads. First, they saw Jesus ministering. Before they put trust in Him, they watched Him. You know, sometimes we have to see something to believe it. We have to have experience with something before we can trust it. The same is true of Christianity. People don't just trust Jesus. They need to see Him first. Sometimes we think that just because we tell them about Jesus that they're supposed to immediately believe. I don't know that we should stake our eternity on something that we just heard. Something that we haven't tried or proven. Something that we haven't seen as effective. The disciples didn't have to put blind faith in Christ. They saw Him. They watched Him perform healings. They listened to Him as He taught. They had the chance to get to know Him, to hear Him, to see Him in action. They had the chance to see Him performing His ministry before them. And because they saw Jesus, it is so much easier to put faith in Christ. Some of us are waiting and praying for people who don't know Jesus. We say, oh God, won't you just save them? And we try to talk to them over and over and over again about Christ. And what it may be, you know, sometimes we do need to ask for that decision. Are you ready to accept Christ right now? But sometimes people need to see Him first. They need to see Him in the way that we talk. In the way that we treat other people. In the way that we live our life. When our actions match up to our words. They need to see Christ in us. It's not enough just to shout out, Accept Jesus or you're going to hell. That's not enough. They need to see Him at work. Now, if there's one thing this church is good at, it's about showing folks what Jesus looks like. If there's one thing that this church is very good at, it's about exemplifying Christ before others. Showing the love of God in the way that we live. But we got to give folks that chance. we got to give them a chance to see Jesus. Otherwise, they'll have no reason to trust in Him. Not only did they see him ministering, they heard him calling. In both these situations, Jesus made a clear 
definite call. There wasn't ambiguity. He spoke both calls directly to the individual. This wasn't like in um, Isaiah 6 when Isaiah appears in the throne room of God and God shouts out, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? To where it's a general call and someone says, Well, I need to answer that call. You know, Isaiah says, Oh, here am I, send me. It's not like that. He comes directly to someone and says, Follow me. There's no doubt in anybody's mind what he's asking of them. That's the thing. When Christ calls someone, he calls them specifically and directly. We see this again in Luke chapter 6. Christ is putting together his dream team of disciples, if you will. Luke 6, 12 tells us, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray in prayer to God. I find it interesting that before Jesus actually makes this decision, he prays all night long. God, I need your wisdom. But then verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Notice the direct language of the call in verse 13. He called his disciples and chose from them twelve. Keith Green had a really interesting take on calling. He said, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. And I don't want to hear us stand before God on that day and say, but God, I didn't hear you call me. Here's something for all you to chew on, he continues. You don't need to hear a call. You're already called. When God calls us to follow Him, it is a call not just to, to ascribe to a belief system divorced from the rest of our lives. He is calling us not only to believe, but to, to believe so much that we put it into action and live that way. That's why He says repent and not just believe. Because repentance requires that you act on that belief. Repentance requires that you turn around, stop doing things the way you're doing them, and start doing them the right way. Otherwise, it's not repentance. If we're going to say we follow Christ, then we better be following Christ. If we say, I have decided to follow Jesus, we must also say no turning back. If we say we're going to put our hand to the plow, we better not look back. Because the person that does that ain't fit. Forsaking everything. Otherwise, it ain't following him. You can't follow him on the weekends. It's not like the National Guard, one weekend a month, two weeks a year. It's not like that. It's not like a vacuum attachment that you can just add on to your life whenever you need it. Oh, it's Sunday. I better put on my, my Jesus attachment. It's not like that. Following him requires everything. And that's the last point. They saw Jesus ministering. They heard him calling. So they followed Jesus completely. It happens in both stories. Luke 5.11 When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. When these fishermen, it's not only Simon Peter, it's also James and John, the sons of Zebedee in the story. When they, when they see that happen, when Jesus issues the call, they get their boats back to shore and they leave it all behind and follow Jesus. 
You can't be a fisherman and follow Jesus. That's not to say you can't have a job and follow Jesus. That is to say that if these guys were going to follow him, they had to give everything. In Luke 5.28, Jesus tells Levi, follow me, and leaving everything. There, there it is again. He, he left everything. I don't know if you know this about tax collectors. It was a lucrative business. Here's what would happen. Rome would say, you're supposed to collect this tax from everybody. Let's just say the tax is $100. Okay? Let's put it in our terms of money. You got to collect $100 from everybody. Now, Levi knows, I got to give Rome $100 for everybody. So he comes to someone and he says, you owe $150 in tax. That's how tax collectors got rich, which is, by the way, also why they're so despised. Even the Pharisees hate the tax collectors. Now, that's saying something. I mean, these folks were, these folks were looked down. I mean, I'm trying to think. IRS collectors today, like, like folks that work for the IRS are still held in bad esteem, but not that bad. Not as bad as these guys were. This would be like Lenny the Lone Shark's thugs. Okay. <laughs> That's what these guys were like. Can I, can I tell you? He's leaving everything. Why is he leaving everything? That, that, that's lucrative. You could, you could have such a good life that way. You'd have plenty to eat. You'd have a nice home to sleep in. And you'd have all kinds of great stuff. You, you, you wouldn't have a worry in the world. Okay, nobody likes you, but still, who cares? You're rich. You don't have to care what they think. As long as Rome is okay with you, you're good to go. Rome gets mad at you. We got a problem. But other than that, I'm sitting pretty. What do I have to worry about it? But Levi says, this ain't worth it. And he leaves it all behind. They were willing to follow Jesus completely because what they saw in Jesus as he ministered, what they heard in Jesus as he taught, were enough evidence for them to know he was worth following. There were many who would follow for a season. Some would follow for a little while while he was feeding and healing, taking care of the masses oh, we got a great big crowd, and then he turns around and says something, and that's just too hard, and a bunch of people leave. There were others who were looking for benefits without bending their knees and surrender. But these men realized that the call to follow meant changing everything, leaving all of it behind. Jesus was right when he said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to serve one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters that call to follow me ringing out through the ages what's interesting is it means something a little bit different to all of us doesn't it because we all have to leave something else behind now there are some things that we'll all have to leave behind some things that we have to be willing to put down and say that's not meaningful enough because compared to this one compared to the one who is calling me all of that is garbage Paul lists all these accolades and things and says, if any man is, has a reason to boast, I, I have more reason to boast in my righteousness. And after telling about all these great things that he has and does, and he says, I'm willing to count everything as just loss. It may as well, it may as well be a bag of black cow fertilizer compared to Christ. That's my, my version of it. It may as well be junk garbage 
all the awards, all the accolades, all the benefits, everything that I have been chasing after for my entire life, all of it is completely worthless compared to Christ. Now, what is it that drives a man to say that I am willing to give up everything for this Jesus? There's just something about him. Something that's so near and yet so much different. So human and yet so divine. There's such authority and power in his words. There's something about this man that makes him different from anyone else, which is why when he teaches, the crowds are saying, he speaks with authority and not like our scribes. He doesn't sound like the other teachers. What he's saying hits home. What he's saying is it's, it's like God is forcing his words. There's something about this Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what it is. It's that he's God. When you look at Christ, you look face to face with the very God who created you, who loves you, who wants you to know him, who made you to worship him, to serve him. When you look at this Jesus, you're not just looking at a man. You're looking at God. That's what's different about him. And when he looks you in the eye and he says, follow me, you can't help but leave everything else behind. That call through the ages, follow me. It's led people to do incredible things. It's led people to endure incredible suffering and persecution. It's led people to dramatically change. We could recount story after story after story of what God has done. Stories of Indian tribes who were so radically changed by the gospel that they changed their name. They changed the name of the whole tribe because of the impact of the gospel. We can point to stories of men who were, who were burned at the stake. I think of, I think of one. His name was John Huss. He was, he was burned as a martyr. And as he's burned, his last name means goose. Okay. So he said, you can, you can cook this goose, but in a hundred years, there'll be a swan that you can't catch or boil. Think of men like Polycarp burned by the government because of his faith in Christ. And he says, you can 80 so years. Christ has never renounced me. How can I then deny him? I think of people that, I think of people that were absolutely monotone, that you'd bang your head on a table <laughs> if you had to listen to them for very long. One in particular, because this is how God works, stood to preach before a crowd. He preached a sermon that even today you can find in print because it's that good called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards. He was so monotone. And yet the power of God had such impact that people were crying and begging God for forgiveness even before the sermon was over. We can look at stories throughout the ages of people who had chosen to follow Christ and who had had such a dramatic change in their lives and in the lives of others around them that it was unquestionable that God was doing the work. And I just wonder, what is it that He has for us? 
Each and every single one of us individually and corporately. What does He have for us if we would just leave everything behind and follow Him? What is it that He could call us to do? What is it that He could do through us? What is it that God could show His power and might in if we would just be willing to put the junk down and follow Him with everything? What would it be like? I keep hearing these words and they're almost haunting me because I realize I fall so so far short. Follow me. It's not just a call for preachers. It's not just a call for seminary students. It's not just a call for missionaries. It's not just a call for the spiritually elite. I don't know much of anything about Levi's life. He would end up sharing the gospel somewhere. Maybe you can find some traditions that say he went here or there and took the gospel to this particular area. You don't really hear much of him. And then Simon, well, Peter's Peter's legacy is quite large, isn't it? A man who would deny Christ three times in a single night would end up professing him before thousands on Pentecost. Wrote a couple books of the New Testament. Led the church in Jerusalem and saw God do mighty work. It's through Peter that the gospel first goes to the Gentiles. And yet, the call is not just to success. The call is not just to believe. It's a call to follow no matter what. Follow me. Maybe you're carrying something that you need to leave behind. I'm going to open up the altar. Would you come leave it here? Would you just come leave it down here and and not take it back when you go back? Would you get rid of it? Would you ask God to take it away from you so that you can follow Him completely? Maybe, Maybe you're not following Him because you know you're in sin. Sin's a great thing to leave behind, by the way. Maybe you're not following him because you're not sure, you're doubting, you're, you're, you're uneasy, you, you don't know what it's gonna entail, and, and, oh man, sometimes it's just so hard, isn't it? Would you just leave it here? You've seen him do the work. You've heard his call. Now leave it behind and follow him. Maybe, maybe you are following him. And like we all do, you just need to be reminded why you're following Him. You just need to remember who it is that has called you. You just need Him to whisper in your ear, I got you. You can do this. Whatever the need is. I said, I'm going to open the altar. I'm going to open it now. While we all pray, would you just, if there's something you're not following Him in, would you just come? Father, you called us to follow you. You didn't call us to accept you, and that's it. Like, like, like we, we get our stamp on our get out of hell free card, and that's it. You called us to follow you, to imitate you, to live like you, to, to copy what you do, to, to live in light of who you are, to be more holy than we were as we pursue as we, as we grow and develop and mature to the point that you make us complete. Father, it's a lifelong call. Whatever it is that's holding us back, whatever it is that we're trying to hold on to and drag with us, whatever it is that, that has us, that, that's climbed up on our back and doesn't want to let go. God, I pray, I pray that we'd leave it all behind and follow you. 
We've seen you work. We've heard you call. Help us leave everything to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.